0: Hello, and welcome back to this podcast series where we think about pharmacy things. So this time, I thought we'd cover a bit more critical thinking about critical appraisal and trials, because only a fortnight after we looked at the interim analysis of Molnupiravir, the Merck-Sharp and Dome product for preventing admission to hospital with COVID-19, we've got the pleasure of the FDA Advisory Committee vote on whether to recommend licensing in the USA or not. Exciting stuff. So if we cast our minds back, Molnupiravir, named after Thor's Hammer Mjolnir, was set to smash COVID-19 after the pre-planned interim analysis showed a 50% reduction in hospital admissions if taken within five days of the onset of symptoms. This sounded really good, maybe too good, so we had a look at the data and found that it reduced admissions from about 14% to about 7%, So seven out of 100 patients at high risk of hospital admission managed to avoid a hospital admission. And it was high risk patients only because a background rate of 14% of people catching COVID being admitted to hospital is higher than we'd expect for the general population in the UK. It's still good but it's not as good as the original 50% reduction might sound. So why are we looking at it again? Well, there are some interesting things in the FDA committee report and in the press release from the company that we might be able to use as an example for some key points about the appraisal of clinical trials. But first things first, who was looking at what? So the FDA Antimicrobials Drug Advisory Committee, or AMDAC, were the people doing the looking. They were tasked with having a look at the data coming out of the move-out study that looked at whether Molnupiravir works. They're a group of experts who make a recommendation as to whether the product should get a license in the USA, and what they were looking at was the stuff we looked at two weeks ago, the interim analysis of the move-out study that looked so positive. But they also had access to additional data, the analysis of the full results at the interim analysis point, which sounds a bit like the same thing, but it isn't. So the original interim analysis was an analysis done at a predefined point in the trial. It's kind of an early look to see what's happening and check everything is going okay. At this point in the move-out study, they had data from 775 people, and it was this where they found the 50% relative risk reduction of hospitalisation. This was such a good result that they closed the trial early, because it's ethically challenging to continue a trial if you've got a really strong result that the active treatment is markedly better at your interim analysis. However, though they'd stopped the trial at this point, they still had people in the trial, and this is where the other data comes from. This is from all the 1,433 people who were in the trial, not just the 775 who had reached the endpoints at the time of the interim analysis. So what did the new data show? Well, the new data showed something interesting. Whereas in the first 775 there was a hospitalisation rate in the treatment arm of about 7%, in the full 1,433 the hospitalisation rate was... Also about 7%, so nothing to see here. However, in the placebo arm, the hospitalisation rate had reduced from 14% in the first 775 to about 10% in the full 1433, and that does make a difference. And the difference it makes is that the relative risk reduction comes down from 50% to about 30%, and the absolute benefit comes down from about 7 patients out of 100 avoiding hospitalisation to around 3 patients out of 100. Molnupiravir still looks like it does something, but we seem to have maybe half the proportion of patients avoiding hospitalisation. And this is the thing I wanted to talk about. I don't have absolute proof, but it often feels like trials that publish early results tend to look less great when the full analysis gets done or when more data comes out. So why might this be? Why might we suspect early results to overestimate effectiveness? So there's an important point to pick up here, and it's that it isn't why early results always tend to overestimate effectiveness. The important bit of the question is why do early results that we hear about seem seem to overestimate effectiveness. Well, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, we live in a world where interesting things are more newsworthy than boring things, and press releases that show amazing results are more likely to get coverage. Early results that give a big number make the papers, and early results that show marginal benefit tend not to get the same coverage. What this means is that early results that we get to hear about tend to be at the extreme positive end of the spectrum, which means that when you get to see the full data, it's only really got one way to go. Down. trials with unremarkable early results are potentially more likely to have more positive results when you see the full trial but we don't get to see those early results so we don't see this direction of movement that often what's published and shouted about seems to follow the pattern exciting early results oh slightly less exciting final results so what can we do to stop ourselves getting sucked into the early press releases Well, what we can do is be a bit sceptical of claims that are made and think critically about what we're being told. The evidence base isn't a fixed, unchanging thing, so rather than just thinking about the result we're being told and getting some nice numbers to quote, we also need to think about how confident we are in it. It's worth thinking about. How likely is it that future data could change the reported effect? And how much would it need to change before I then needed to change my opinion on whether this is a good treatment or not? So if, for example, you've got early results that show a big positive effect, even if you get more data that's less positive, it's still likely that the direction of effect will be the same, even if it's not that big in magnitude. You're not confident of the absolute benefit magnitude, but you can be more confident that there's probably some benefit there of some sort. However, if you've got some early results that show a really small benefit, future data wouldn't need to be that much different for it to wipe out all the benefit seen. You're not as confident that there's a beneficial effect there at all. So where does that leave Molnupiravir? So for Molnupiravir, is it likely to be like Thor's hammer smashing COVID-19, or more like Timmy's mallet? Well, there was a large benefit seen in the early results, which got press coverage, and then later results, which showed a little bit less benefit, as we might cynically expect. But it is still looking good. The effect size is such that even if we're not confident just how good it is, it's more likely to be good than completely ineffective. However, there's still the question of the population from the PICO question we looked at last time. A 10% admission rate into hospital is still really high, and the benefit was mainly seen in patients without antibodies, but in the UK we have a lower hospitalisation rate and a higher level of antibodies, so our general population looks very different to that in the trial. Whether that matters is up for debate, but it is looking more dubious as to whether it's an absolute game changer. It's a bit Oseltamiviri in that it might do something, but we're unsure how important it might be for most people. And this is reflected in the FDA AMDAC group, who recommended its use in the USA, but not unanimously. It was approved in a vote of 13 to 10. So if even all the experts aren't convinced it's a great thing, we need to be cautious in our interpretation of these preliminary results, even if at first glance they look impressive. And this is reflected in the probable access route in the UK, which is likely to only be through an extended trial registry type thing with tight inclusion criteria and accessible in primary care only. And that's it. Hopefully we've covered why an interim analysis that we hear about might be more positive than the full analysis when it's available, and so why we should be slightly sceptical of the early results that we hear about, and how we might go about thinking how confident we are in a particular result that we're being quoted. Thank you, and see you next time.